scriptures, Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians 3, New Testament. If you're in the Old Testament, you still got a long ways to go. If you don't know what the Old Testament is, then you got a long ways to go too. And you'll get there maybe in a minute. Colossians chapter number 3. And uh, we're going to dive right in today. If, if you look at the wall, you can tell we're members on one of another was two weeks ago, love one another last week. Admonish, that's where we are today, admonish one another. And so we'll talk about admonishing one another and see what the Bible has to say about it. Colossians chapter number 3, one verse this morning, Colossians 3, verse number 16. The Bible says that the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let's read it one more time. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Father, I pray in the next few minutes this morning you'd be pleased with all that's said and done. We love you and we need you and uh, work today through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I forgot to introduce, Carlos brought a friend today, Rocky. Yeah. Rocky, it's good to have you here today. Thanks for being in our service. Let's welcome Rocky to our service. And so we're glad that you're here today. Thanks for being here with us. And so Colossians chapter number three. Now, in order to really get what this verse is talking about, you got to understand what's going on in the book of Colossians. We'll get there in just a moment. I want to break it down so you can see why this verse is so important, how we can apply it to our lives today. Perhaps this week someone admonished you, or you admonished someone. An admonishment is very simply a warning. It's to reprove or to exhort someone. And sometimes you're a boss at work and you have to admonish an employee. Sometimes a wife has to admonish her husband. Happened to me yet? No, I'm just kidding. You guys are a rough crowd this morning. Man, man, relax a little bit. It's okay. Relax, okay? Is everyone smiling today? Fake smile, even. Ryan, please don't smile like that again. And, uh, all right, he's relieved. And Lori, happy birthday today. It's Lori's birthday today, and uh, she entered a new, um, how do you say that, a new century? New decade. I was just kidding, just kidding. A new decade, and I'm not going to tell you if it's the fourth or the fifth one, but it's somewhere in there, and so, but happy birthday to you. And uh, so, all right, we're all good. All right, don't be a tough crowd. First service was really easy to preach to today. Normally, you guys, you guys, it might take a little bit to get going with the singing and everything, but by the time we get to preaching, you guys are normally ready to go. And so, just you can laugh a little bit. It's okay. You can smile. We're in God's house. It should be a joy to be in God's house. If it's like prison, that's not a good thing, and we don't want that. It's only a few minutes ago. It's like, oh, I was forced to. No, don't. Just really, we'll have a good time today. The message will be a little rough. I'm going to be admonishing you and myself a little bit this morning. No one likes to be admonished. Do you like someone coming up and correcting you? Most of the time, we don't. In fact, you hear most people today, they'll say, you can't, and teenagers today, you can't tell me what to do. That's a very bad attitude to have. And a wrong, not teachable spirit, contrary to what the Bible would have for us. But that's how many people are today. Do you ever get corrected and uh, you just bristle up? One of the joys for me is I get to be pastor here, but I also get to be the pastor of the, of the teenagers, which is a blessing for them and not always a blessing. But sometimes I will admonish some of them and you'll just see them, you know, oh, someone's telling me something. They just don't like being told what to do. People don't like it. 
know what the Bible has to say about that? A scorner heareth not rebuke. The Bible talks about the foolish bristle up when it comes to when they're told. We've got to learn there are things that God has for us and sometimes some lessons that we need to learn. And God will put people in our lives to help us become what God wants us to be. The problem here with the church in, um, you know, the book of Colossians was written to the church at Colossae is where it was. Now, some of the things that we know about this church, the first thing that we know about this church is that Paul had never been to this church. Chapter number 2, verse number 1, lets us know that he had never seen them face to face. What happened was, while Paul spent two years in Ephesus, and you can read that in the book of Acts, Timothy actually started the church at Colossae here. And then Timothy, we know, eventually became the pastor of the church at Ephesus and all that stuff. But Paul had not seen them. During Paul's imprisonment in Rome, he wrote this epistle to them. Now, the whole gist of the book of Colossians, this is the whole idea here. The idea is that Paul's writing them and teaching them how to deal with false doctrine that had crept into the church. That's what he's trying to teach them and trying to get their, how to deal with that. So when you have that in mind, it will help you understand where we're going this morning in the message. Because you could read through chapter number one and chapter number two and see Paul's just trying to tell them, hey, focus on Christ. Christ is what's important. And people will talk about this doctrine or that doctrine or this thing or that thing and all these different things, and you need to focus on Christ. That's what he's trying to teach them. And he was trying to admonish them a little bit in this letter that he wrote them. Chapter number three, our text in verse 16 But Paul tries to give them some insight leading up to in verse number one. In verse number two, he tells them and urges them here to seek heavenly values. Look what it says, If ye then being risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. So we see right away here that Paul in this third chapter, he's telling them some things to do to help keep that stuff away. First thing is seek heavenly values. Have your mind focused on the Lord and what he has. So often we get boggled down with everything around us going on. And the Bible says in verse number two, set your affections on things above, not on things on this earth. Things of this earth, they will corrupt. They'll fade away. The eternal things will never fade away. And so many of us focus on the temporal things. And Paul's telling the church at Colossae here, hey, seek heavenly values. Have your values on heavenly things. Set your affection on those things. Because someday the Lord's going to come, and when he does, we'll be with him forever. Focus on him. Focus on that. He also tells them here to abstain from earthly and sensual lust. Verse number five. It says, mortify yourselves. Mortify is to make dead is what the word means. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And, the Bible, and Paul is telling them here, you need to abstain from these things. Abstain means stay away from them. And Paul's like, you've had some things creep in, in the church here. You're trying to get things right. Some things you've got to do. Focus on the Lord. Abstain from earthly sensual lusts. And this world is full of it. And let me just say, just because our world views these things, fornication as an example, our world views fornication as no big deal today. Go back 30, 40, 50 years ago, and it was a shame for a young lady to be pregnant, not married. Today it's celebrated. It's still wrong in God's eyes. That's Bible truth. So what if it happens? then someone needs to get right with God 
and do their best to raise that child for God and do what's right. And it's not a punishment to have a child, it's a blessing from God. But you just did things wrong, but you need to get right with God and move forward with it. But it's still wrong. These things are listed, and Paul tells them here, you have some doctrine creeping that's not right, well, here's some things you need to do. Seek heavenly values, keep your focus on the Lord. You need to abstain from that earthly sensual lust. The next thing you need to do is, look at verse number 10, and put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Paul says you need to take off the old man and put on the new man. And people get this confused all the time. You've got to understand something. When you get saved, you have a new man, correct? But just because you get saved doesn't mean the old man goes away. The old man is still just as much a part of this flesh that you have and will be till we put on incorruption and be with the Lord. Because there are many Christians who say, I don't need to put off the old man because I am a new man. You are a new man, but the old man is still there. And if you look at the order, Paul says it here in Colossians. He also says in the book of Ephesians. He mentions in both places to put off the old man and put on the new man. So what this tells me, and think just a little bit, it's easier to live with the old man than it is the new man. You physically got to put that off. That word put off be like me taking my coat off. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. It's a battle every day. It's not... (laughs) The old man, you wonder the things, why do, I, why do I want to do this and do this that's so contrary to God? It's because you're letting the old man run your life. And Paul tells him here, put off that old man, put on the new man. And how important that is. And we see Paul's telling them, you've got this doctrinal issues here. Hey, focus on me, get your focus right. Abstain from the earthly sin, the sensual lust. Put off the old man, put on the new man. Verse 11 he teaches them to respect one another. And he talks about that there's no difference between Greek or Jew and um, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Hey, respect one another. And then we see in verse 13 and 14, he teaches them to forgive one another and to love one another. And this is the basis that leads up how to deal with some of the things that were wrong at the church there. Verse 16 is very important. That's our text this morning. Look at it again. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. If they were going to get back on track, the church of Colossae here, they would need one another's help. It says admonishing one another. And I think someone's probably thinking in their own, Pastor, I could help people out. I know what's wrong with everyone. I could tell them their problem and tell them to get right. That's not what the Bible's talking about, okay? Some people think they're God's. I just know, I know what's wrong. I'll tell you what's wrong with you. That's called an opinion. Biblical admonishing is supposed to be done a certain way. And we're going to learn that this morning, what biblical admonishment is all about. Number one, we see the message of admonition. The message of admonition. For our admonition or admonishment to be effective, we must have God's word in us. You see how the verse starts? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The basis or the you think about this, the basis and success of our admonishment is dependent on how thoroughly the word of God dwells in us. 
The indwelling word is what makes the difference between our admonishment being a simple opinion and it being biblical and helpful. And this is, and, uh, and I, uh, you gotta be careful what you say. I gotta be careful what I say. A lot of thoughts run through my head. We have a lot of people in our church that think that they're God's gift to help people. No one's God's gift to help anybody, if we're going to start that off. You got enough issues in your own life. I got enough issues in my own life. But most of those who think that they're God's gift to help people approach it from the wrong way. They give their opinion on the situation. Let me help you out this morning. Your opinion means nothing. My opinion means everything. No, it means nothing. And you thought, you're like, wait, wait a second. Why does your opinion count in mine? No, our opinions mean nothing. If we are going to truly help one another, it must be based on the word of God. So let me help you out one thing in our church, and I should have said this last service and I didn't, but don't help me help people by giving them your opinion. Do you know there are people in our church that have caused me strife because they try to help people with their opinion? And if someone gives you their opinion on how to do something, seek godly advice next and go from there. Am I saying all opinions are bad? No, because there are good opinions. They're mostly my opinions, right? Or you think your opinions. No. But get godly advice on it. Seek God's way. To truly help someone and exhort and rebuke. We have so many people try to rebuke, rebuke people with our opinions. That's wrong. We are supposed to rebuke in love and help one another with the Bible as our basis of what we do. The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We see this morning, as we get into this this morning, the word of Christ refers to the revelation Christ brought into the world, the Bible. When the word of God is the basis of our admonition, our, ad, and our admonishment is effective because why? God's word is sure. Letter A. God's word sure. Guess what this morning? This book is true. This book is trustworthy. This book is infallible today. Guess what? My opinion could be sometimes good, but it's not trustworthy. I'm not infallible. Some of us think we are, but we're not. This book is. Because God gave it to us himself, we can place supreme confidence in God's word. Bible tells us in John 17, 17, and the verse is wrong up there, but it says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I don't know how that verse, I almost forgot the one up there for Jay, but the verse, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Proverbs 30, verse number five, every word of God is pure. He's a shield unto them that put their trust in him. God's word is sure. When we admonish, when we try admonish and try and help one another, it needs to be through God's word. But not only look at this, look at what else the verse says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Not only is God's word sure, but it needs to be settled. Not only do you need God's word present in your life, but it also needs to dwell in us. 
The word dwell, remember when we were studying the book of Ephesians a few weeks ago, and we we're still in that study there, the one verse, the word dwelt was used. In, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it talks about the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That was Jesus. He came to earth. He tented here on earth. That became his dwelling place. Well, the word dwell that is used here, of the word of Christ dwell in you richly, the word dwell here is not that same word. The word that is used here has that idea of to settle down or to be at home in. Do you have the word of God inside of you? You realize this morning, the Bible, what this means here is the Bible is not just supposed to be a mere passing thought that we have, but a constant focus in our lives. If we want to be a good spouse, if you want to be a good parent, if you want to be a good boss, if you want to be a good whatever, the Word of God needs to be settled down inside of us and a part of us. It needs to permeate our lives. George Mueller said this, he said, the vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. You cannot be a good Christian and not be in the book. Most Christians fail the Lord when they get away from the book. You know it's true. You know that's true. Show me when you stop being, spending time with God, and I'll show you when you start slipping. Every single time. God's word is very important to the Christian. How we need his word. Do you realize something? Not only do we need it to help us be better Christians, but before you can give advice to anyone or admonish anyone, we need to have God's wisdom dwelling in us. And that wisdom comes through his word. I've told people, I had someone I talked to a few weeks ago, they were trying to help someone else with a situation. And I said, I'm not trying to be mean here, but you have no right to be telling anybody what to do because you're a mess. When's the last time you read your Bible? When's the last time you went to church? Don't be trying to help people when you aren't spending time in God's Word. Because, yeah, you might have some earthly wisdom to impart, but most of the spiritual battles we face, you need the wisdom that comes from the book. And that's not making anyone, I'm not better than anyone else, and you're not better than anyone else. But a Christian who spends time in the book is able to help people more than those who don't. Okay? That's the reality. You want to get far in the Christian life? Get a relationship with the Bible. Spend time in it. Love the Bible. The Bible should be your best friend in your Christian life. You do nothing with the Bible, you go nowhere in the Christian life. You want to raise good kids, you get them in the Bible. They need to know the Bible. You, look, you wonder why schools are so bad today, public schools. They took God out. What do you expect? How is it going to get any better when you take God out? Take, God, take prayer and take Bible out and see what happens. They need metal detectors at schools. Show me years ago, were there a bunch of shootings that happened at schools years ago? Never heard, I never heard of any, hardly ever. What changed? Take God and the Bible out. Take God and the Bible out of society and society gets worse. Even those who do not know God... Go back to the 1950s, 1960s, and look at the morals of the unsaved in the 1950s and 60s. 
much better morals than most saved people of 2020. Why? The Bible is still in society. The Bible's taken out of everything. You wonder why everything gets so bad. And we're like, let's take guns away and do all these. And certain people don't need guns. I understand all that. And I'm not, and I could go off on all, but let me just say something to you this morning. We don't need, we don't have a gun problem. We have a Bible problem. We do. You give a prisoner a Bible in jail. Why don't you give them to them as a kid in public school and maybe they won't be in prison? Just a thought. The Bible is very important. And there might be something you say, that's not true, blah, blah, blah. You just don't know what the Bible truly is. And it shows me you don't spend time in it. God's word's everything to the Christian. Everything. So important. Before you can give good advice or admonishment, we need to have God's wisdom. The Bible tells us, John 15, 7, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. God instructs us to meditate on his word. Psalm, two, Psalm 1, verse number 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And you know, today, it's a new, you see all around us, this, this, you have yoga and all these meditational forms of different things to help people out. And yoga, for an example, it, it combines physical exercise and spiritual meditation to achieve personal wellness. That's the goal of it. Biblical meditation is nothing like yoga or anything else. Why? Because it's different primarily in its object. Most of our modern-day meditational things that go on focus on emptying one's mind or turning it inward to self-realization, where Bible um, meditation focuses one mind on God and on His Word. We're not emptying it out. We're filling it with God's word. You have something empty with something, you gotta, something's going to fill it. That's the way it always works. Biblical meditation, I always think in driving down Edison that way, and that's so funny. Some of the people that live more that way in different things, they get out here like, oh, those cows, you smell them. I think of Bible meditation like a cow chewing its cud. The, the, the cow cannot properly digest the food it takes in the first time. So the animal chews and chews and gets all the nutrients out of that food, and it takes some time. Nowadays, we don't like this idea of taking time. We want immediate. But his delight's in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. If we were to break down Psalms chapter 1, the very first verse is very, there are several things. Blessed is the man, or happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But you want to be happy, you want to be blessed, then your delight's going to be in the law of God, the Bible. And in God's law, the Bible, you're going to meditate day and night. And when you do that, you're going to be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. Your leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever you doeth shall prosper. But the ungodly, they're not so. They're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. You want to be that tree planted by the water that's receiving all it needs, but that happens by what you do with the book. The book is so important. The Bible is so important to the Christian life. We need to meditate on it. It's so important that we do it. 
We need God's Word. When we have God's Word dwelling in us, we're able to admonish one another with wisdom and grace, and it removes our opinions and puts into perspective what's truly right and truly helping one another. How do we let God's Word dwell in us? Well, there's four ways. The first way, by hearing it, number one, by hearing it. Matthew 13, 9 says, Who have ears to hear, let him hear. It's like, if you have ears, listen to what I'm saying. Hey, are you attentive to God's word? Do you listen when it's preached? Do you find yourself distracted and totally not focused on it? You need to hear it. Do you read it during the week? Or are you so distracted every time you sit down to read it? And isn't that amazing? You set time aside to read your Bible, and your phone could not ring all morning, and then right when you're getting ready to read your Bible, your phone rings. Or those of you who have kids, they could be fine all morning long, and then right when it's your time, you're going to read the Bible, that's when the, mom, 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 like they know that they're the devil's children. No, I'm just kidding. They're just acting like their father, right? But anyways, we need to hear the Word of God. Hear it. Listen when the preaching's going. Hey, read it during the week. And I hear people often, Pastor, I don't like to read. So that's why I don't read the Bible. Guess what? I don't like to read. I'm being honest this morning. I don't. Never did. Never will. I do it. I don't like to read. I try as a kid. I got into the Hardy Boy books. Anybody know the Hardy Boy books? I, I like those books, and I read through them, but it was a chore. It would have been easier for me to do lots of, it would have been easier for me to go mow the lawn than read that whole book. I liked them though. I just don't, reading was not me. You know, and Caroline or I know others, they sit down and just give me a good book in the evening and I'll be good for the night. No, 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 no. Give me a good book and I'll be asleep before too long. Give me a ball game on TV. That's what I want to see. But reading is not a natural thing for, and I don't like it. It's still the right thing to do. You don't, there are times in life where you do things you don't like because it's best for you. And I also, let me give you some tips here too. You might say, oh, pastor, I, I just, I don't read very well and it's hard for me to read. I understand that because I said I'm on the same boat as you. Lousy excuse, lousy. Because you do, th- if you love God, you'd read his book. If you're playing some, that was an admonishment there. Okay, so it'll still be okay. Do other things then. Most people have phones today. It was so funny the other day. Ryan needed to talk to Brother Rick. And so Ryan texts me. He's like, does Brother Rick get text messages? I said, he doesn't have a cell phone. Oh, I should have known. And uh, Brother Rick, he's one of the only people I know that doesn't have a cell phone. And uh, he never, he, I agree, he never will. He never will. And so that, maybe someday he'll graduate to a pager at least. Maybe he'll get to that point. Just kidding. But... <laughs> But most of you have cell phones, and most of them I've seen are not just those old flip ones. I've seen a few of those flip ones still. Do you know, if you don't like to read, you can have it read the Bible to you? Whoa. So I don't like to read. Well, listen then, and read along. But don't let that take up all of your reading either. Read it too. We need to spend time in God's Word. Do you give it in, in order for something to come in? You have to give entrance, right? For the word of God to dwell in you richly, first thing you got to do, 
got to open the door and let it come in. That's what the preaching of the Word of God is. You're letting it come in. You're reading the Bible through the week. You're letting it come in. You got to hear it. That's where it begins. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Number two, not only do we need to hear it, but we need to handle it. You know, what is knowledge, what is knowing something and doing nothing with it? I have a lot of tools. I love tools. My dad, he had a ton of tools. He still has a ton of tools. He loves tools. Half of his tools, I still don't even know what they are. He was a diesel mechanic for years, and he's got things. You look at this thing, and you don't even know what it is. And he had some, he has some tools. I've only seen them a couple times because he didn't want me to mess them up when I was younger. But they're from my great-grandpa, and they're hidden in the garage so that I couldn't mess with them when I was younger. But you pull out some of these tools, you don't... What good is a tool if you don't use it? I tried to convince my dad with those old tools, but did no good. Oh, I have all the... And you, you want to see someone who doesn't use tools? Look at how clean their tools are. That shows you someone who... And I know there are some perfectionists in the room that might keep their tools clean, but come on. If, if you use your tools a lot, they're going to get dirty. You handle it. Not only do you hear the book, so you mean, Pastor, so I'm just supposed to hear it, and then you want me to carry it with me. That's not what I mean. Handle it. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Get in, handle it. Get into it. Every Christian is a believe, that's a believer, and if you're a Christian, you're a believer, you're a priest with God. All of us are. And you should be able to read the Bible and understand the Bible for yourself. As Christians, we are to be students of God's word. Study to show thyself approved unto God. There are many people that could take a test at school and do get flying colors on it. You graduate high school, be top of your class, 4.0 grade average, go to college and do all that, but someday you're going to stand before God. You're going to get an F for what you did with God's word. God's word is very important. That's one of the things I love about our Christian school. And, you know, you say, well, pastor, all they learn is Bible. No, that's not all that they learn. They learn their math. They learn their English. They learn their history. They learn their science. But they learn God's word with it. The most important thing your child will ever learn is God's word. Math, English, they're important. English, the more you know about English, the more you can understand God's word too. That's a good thing. I have people all the time, Pastor, I don't understand the Bible. First thing, get this. You'll never fully understand the Bible. You never will. Because it's God's word. And if it was written by one of us, you would understand it. Because our minds are all pretty simple. God's so much greater than we are, you'll never understand everything in the Bible. Now, Pastor, I just don't know if, I have a hard time with some of the words, and some people will tell me, I get nothing from the King James Bible. I'm a King James Bible guy, that's what I am. And people can have different opinions on all of that, and if you choose to use a different version, that's between you and the Lord. Um, the reason I use the King James Bible is because of the text it comes from. The New Testament text is the Texas Receptus. If you look at most of our modern version Bibles, the NASB, NIV, ESV, all these different versions, they come from the critical text or the Nestlean text group, and there are big differences in those texts than the Texas Receptus. I'm a, I'm a TR guy. Because I'm a TR guy, I'm a KJV guy. You say, what, what was all that that you just said? Text matters. 
Because we believe in man shall not live by bread alone, but every word. And when you take one that has 7 to 10% differences, that's a lot in a lot of words. I want to buy, and I, I believe in the King James Bible. You say, oh, pastor, I don't. Then use a Bible that you feel does, and that you do that. And so, but you got to, and you say, well, it's hard to understand. Get a dictionary out. That's work. Study to show thyself approved. Un- That's work. When you were in school, that was work. Wow. This is what we want in Christianity today. We just think we can come to church and be like, okay, pastor, feed me, feed me, feed me. Oh, he did all the studying all week for me, and now I'm good to go. My life's good and complete. No, 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 no. You need to study God's word. You need to know God's word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. And look at what that word, it says, richly. Not just a little bit, but it says richly. That means abundantly, above, so much. So four ways God's word will dwell on us. Do you see why? Wow, it's 11, wow, here we know. Hear it, handle it. Third, hide it, hide it. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. When I was a teenager, when I was a teenager, I got in trouble some, just every once in a while, not too bad, but, you know, every teenager, their biggest problem is their mouth. Pretty much every teenager has a big mouth that needs to learn to be quiet. Teenagers think they know everything, they need to just be quiet. Young people in the room, save yourself trouble in life, just be quiet. Your mom or dad tells you something, they've lived longer than you, and they should be using good Bible backing and their admonishments of you but even if they don't just shut your mouth and listen to them I didn't do that very well as a teenager for a while and so my mom my mom the great Christian that she was and is she had me write bible verses say oh I can't believe someone would punish someone by making them write the bible shut up for me it was one of the best things that ever happened in all honesty you know why well Couple, one thing's not so good. I'm 34 years old, and today if I write a letter or two, my hand goes numb and my carpal tunnel kicks in. If I'm being honest, probably from all the verses I wrote as a young person, I was a little stubborn, okay? I was just a little bit stubborn. Okay, I was a lot stubborn, if we're going to be honest, a lot stubborn. But do you know what I learned after a while? I was going to talk back to my mom. And a Bible verse would pop into my head. Whoso keepeth his mouth, keepeth his life. And doesn't have to write more verses. That was Brian's version add-on to the end of the KJV. So what I do, stay quiet. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. You got a problem with sinning in your life on certain areas, you need to get some Bible in those areas and memorize those verses. So when you get ready to fall into that temptation, whatever the case may be, that verse will come in to help you do what's right. That's why you need to memorize God's word. And I hated writing scripture as a teenager, but it helped me so much. Getting it ingrained in me. You need also fourthly you need to hold it and you realize we're all on point number one still okay i know only point number one we need to hold it holding forth the word of life 
that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. We're to hold forth God's word for others to see and let it be like a flashlight to them. Go in a dark room, you get a flashlight so people can see. That's what the Word of God is. Use it that way. And, some of the, and you need to share it with one another. That's what some of the strongest Christians are those who are active in sharing the gospel. Why? Because as you witness, people are going to ask you questions. And when they ask you questions, you're going to have to find answers. You're going to study more. You're going to go ask your pastors the questions, whatever the case may be. But through it all, oh, you're going to learn to grow and it's going to help you in the long run. You and I are to be men and women of the Word. And when we are, when we're men and women of the Word, guess what else will happen? We'll be men and women of wisdom. They go hand in hand together. The Bible tells in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13 and verse 16, which things also we speak, not in the words with man, which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Verse 16, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And because of that, we can teach, and that's where the wisdom comes from. Are you growing in your Bible knowledge so you're able to apply it to life situations and help people when they stray? Number one, we've seen the message of admonition. You're thinking, oh great, pastor's taking his coat off. He's still got a while to go. I said we're only on number two. We're going to get there though. We're going to get there. I'm going to hurry up now. You guys are just such good listeners, and it's just good. You're just doing good. And so, Lori, don't go to sleep though. I know being 40, it's hard sometimes. Here we go. Number two, we see the ministry of admonition. The ministry of admonition. As God's word settles in, we can begin this ministry of teaching and admonishing one another. Only when it's set in. You cannot help, when you're full of the word of God, you cannot help for it to bubble out. When good things happen in life and things go on in your life, you share that with people because you're so full of joy from the, whatever's going on. Same thing when you're full of the scriptures, it can't help but find its way out. The ministry of, of admonition it comes in two ways. Letter A, through teaching. Through teaching. Verse 16 speaks of teaching and admonishing one another. And this refers to, this teaching refers to imparting instruction. The tool we use for teaching is the word of God. Methods may vary. You know, in kids' classes, they might do a craft. They might sing a song differently than we sing up here. They might have candy for them, whatever the case may be. But when it's all said and done, the core of every teaching encounter should always be communicating the truth of the Bible to every individual, for adults, teens, kids, whatever the case may be. And that's the way it should be for everyone. And sometimes we get this idea in some churches they have their kids' classes and things and they don't teach them anything from God's Word. Kids need doctrine as well and the truths of God's Word. D.L. Moody said it like this, and I love how he said this. He said, it is a masterpiece of the devil to make us believe that children cannot understand religion. What Christ, would Christ have made a child the standard of faith if he had known that he wasn't capable of understanding his words? A child is very capable of understanding the words of God. What are our goals when we teach God's Word? And I'm moving quickly right now, if you can't tell. First thing is, it's to impart instruction. We know the Bible. The Bible tells us, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 
And the inspiration of God means that God supernaturally, it means God breathed is what it means. And this book is profitable because this book comes from God in four ways. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Doctrine refers to what's right. Reproof is pointing out what is wrong. Correction teaches us how to get our lives right with God. And then instruction and righteousness shows us how to stay right in our lives. And in addition to doing these things and imparting instruction, teaching the Word of God and learning the Word of God, teaching also instills doctrine in the life of the believer. Doctrine is not something that's only relevant for a preacher or for a theologian to know. Rather, doctrine is important for every Christian. Acts 2.42, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it, and understand truth and what doctrine is. We need to be taught what true doctrine is. The church should be, not, he's talking about this today, the church should not be united around worship style, personality, or anything else, but around the truth of God's word and the doctrine of God's word. Each Christian should know how to share the truth of God's word with others. Being strong in doctrine helps us to know the truth from the lies. You know how the Bible says that in the last days, many, are gonna, be, many will fall away and they'll believe a lie rather than the truth? Why? Because people don't know doctrine. A lot of churches today don't teach doctrine. Doctrine's important. We need doctrine. Paul was telling the church here that they needed doctrine. It would keep the bad doctrine out if you know what correct doctrine is. Most people today follow wrong doctrine. Why? Because they simply don't know any better. That's why it's so important when a new Christian gets saved that they right away get grounded in the truth. And as that's what's happened in Acts 2.42. After they got saved, baptized, added to the church, the next thing they did, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. A lot of people get messed up because someone else brings them their quirky way and their things that they think the Bible says, and it messes them up. We need the truth of God's Word. We need what true doctrine. It would help us in so many ways. And it's a concern that, and, you, and we need, it's, it's concerning that not every Christian knows the Bible the way they should. You need to know it. And then when we look at this also, not only teaching, when we talk about the ministry here of admonition, but also admonishing. We said that admonishing means to exhort, reprove, or caution, to warn of the consequences of wrong behavior. I love this quote. A good leader can step on your toes without messing up your shine. That's not an easy task. And leaders must admonish someone whose conduct is detrimental to the work of God. And it's not easy. When you truly love people, it's hard to admonish them. I mean, a, while, a couple years ago, someone I love dearly, that I look, look up to in my Christian faith, I admonished him. It needed to be done, scripturally. And afterwards, he thanked me for it. Say, Pastor, does that mean that you've got to realize something? When you're in the Word of God, our job is to help one another. You see me slipping, there needs to be someone to come up to the pastor and say, Hey, pastor, I see this in your life. This is what the Bible says. I need help. No one's exempt from it. 
what happens is in a church, though, we see one of our fellow members, one of our fellow um, brothers or sisters in Christ, we see them start to slip and we say nothing. And we're not helping them. The best, we got to reach out and be like, hey, brother, hey, there's an issue here. Let's pray. Can I help you? And then you should be praying that people would do the same thing with you. Oftentimes I see though what happens is someone will be like, they'll be fast to help admonish others, but then someone will come admonish them and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, it's humility. In humility, we, and it should be that way. If there's something you see in my life, pastor, I see something slipping. You need to come talk to me. And I need to be humble enough to receive it. And just the same way for you. Another thing you've got to remember in our church, and I am no better than anyone else in this room. In fact, I'm probably a bigger sinner than some of you in here. My job is to watch for your soul. That's Bible. The pastor's judging me. No, I'm trying to help you in love. Stay straight. I'm not judging you. And I would hope you do the same thing for me if that ever happens to me. The ministry of admonishing is teaching and admonishing. And then number three, and I skipped a lot of stuff there, but we're running out of time. Number three, the means of admonish, of admonition. The means of admonition. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Now look what it says. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. In addition to personal and corporate teaching, there's another means of admonition given to us Christians. That's what, look what verse 16 says, the end there. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What are the means of admonition? Letter A would be music. Music is a form of expressing worship. When we sing a song like this morning, we sang My Savior's Love. It's teaching us about what the Bible says about all that Christ did on the cross for us and how marvelous, how wonderful His love is. We sing a song like um, Hallelujah, What a Savior. It goes through and gives us all these different things that the Lord has done in our lives. We sang The Blood of Jesus Speaks for Me this morning. When we think about the fact of what Jesus dying on the cross, his blood and how his blood saved us. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You see, it confirms these songs, it confirms what the Bible teaches and what we have in Christ. That's what the songs do with the word of God. Psalm 100 verse 1 and 2 tells us, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. And some of us, when we sing, that's exactly what we do. We make a noise, a joyful noise and a screech or whatever you want to call it. And then, and then serve the Lord with gladness, come before His presence with singing. Psalm 30, verse number 4, the Bible says, Sing unto Him, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. And music is a form of expressing worship. And it's important that when we talk about music and when we look at it, that it's biblically based what we sing. You notice there are three different types of songs mentioned here in Colossians 3.16. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. A psalm. And, you know, for Israel, their songbook was the psalms. And a lot of times, there are a lot of psalms that, we, that have been put to music. We sing those. That's a psalm. 
a hymn. When we talk about a hymn, hymns are expressions of praise to God for who He is and what He has done. And there are many hymns. This morning we sang My Savior's Love. That's a hymn. We'll sing songs like um, Blessed Assurance. Hallelujah, what is our, our great Savior this morning. Those are hymns. There's psalms, hymns, and then there's spiritual songs. Spiritual songs, that's um, a spiritual song expresses in song the testimony of what God has done for you. The blood of Jesus speaks for me. That's a spiritual song. A lot of times we have in our world today, people will label Christian songs in this realm of things. You'll have hymns, and then they'll say worship songs. Worship songs is not a biblical term. Most of our worship songs we sing, they are spiritual songs, and they fit in there. The key that's important, what we do is we have a lot of churches that go back and forth. There are some churches who would never sing a hymn if their life depended on it. They only sing hers. No. No. <laughs> um, the scene if you're still here. Man, you guys are rough today. Rough, rough, rough. I know that was, that was dry, 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 but... I spent time with Eric this week. We went to lunch, and I think his sense of humor rubbed off on me a little bit. And uh, so they won't sing a hymn. They won't touch a hymn. Then there are those who will only sing hymns and sing nothing else. The importance of a song is that the doctrine in the song is biblically correct. There are hymns that are not biblically correct. We could sit down sometime, and I could show you some. There are a lot of worship songs slash spiritual songs that are not biblically correct. There are a lot of ones that are, and there are a lot of hymns that are. And the Psalms are all biblically correct, so there's really nothing you can go wrong with singing Psalms. You can't go wrong there. When it comes to a church and the song service in a church, this is what you've got to understand. Our worship, our entire concept of worship, must line up with God and His Word. The central focus of worship is the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God and the music and of our worship should support what the Bible says. If it does not, it does not fit into biblical worship. There needs to be doctrinal harmony in what's preached and sung in our churches. We see music. Then lastly, we see grace. Music can teach and admonish us but it needs to be done in a particular way. Verse 16 tells us what our attitude needs to be like. It says at the end of the verse there, it says, Sing, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. First, you got to understand what it says here. The Bible is instructing us to sing with grace in our hearts. Grace is a disposition that comes, and, and it comes from the Holy Spirit. He creates it in us. We are not to sing mechanically. We are to worship God with joy and feeling. There should not only be a right song and the right song sung and doctrinally correct, but there should also be a right spirit when we sing. Both of those are important to God. Because I see it. I'll see it in our church sometimes. I have some people in our church, they only like hymns. I love hymns. I love new songs too. I love doctrinally correct songs. I'll see the ones who love hymns when a new song comes up and they just sit there like this. Your stinking attitude is just as wrong as anything else. You're supposed to be singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. 
your spirit needs to be right. My spirit can't be right because you're not singing a hymn. You, you missed the whole boat. You're so far off. Because what you've done is you've made worship all about you. And last time I checked, worship has nothing to do with you or I. It's all about him. Then there are those who don't like hymns and only want the new stuff. I don't sing hymns. And look at that sorry attitude. Because you made worship instead of... What is worship about? Him. We make worship about us. I don't know if I like that song. It's to God. It's not to you anyway, so I'd care less if you like it. There's a reason behind everything we do. Nothing's by accident. The songs that are sung in our church are looked over very carefully before they're ever sung in our church. If they're not doctrinally correct, they are not sung. There have been a few that are great songs and the lines are a little bit off. You might go to another church and hear the song a little bit different than how we sing it here because we changed the words to make it doctrinally correct. Doctrine matters. But just as much as the doctrine and the song matters, your spirit matters when you worship. And we're singing with grace in our hearts, not to one another, to the Lord. Our singing is not a show, but an offering of praise to God. Our audience is not everyone singing in the room with us. Our audience is one. His name's God. So let me review all that real quick and finish here in about one minute. Our job as Christians, and admonishment is not something that we naturally embrace, but we ought to admonish one another in love. When our admonition is biblically based on the Word of God, it's sure. It will be effective when our lives are saturated by the Word of God. God wants us to take that and take the ministry of teaching and admonition, and admonition seriously. Are we, you think about this, we need to admonish scripturally according to God's word. Admonishment serves as a warning against sin and false teaching, but it also anchors the believers in God's truth. And then finally, where God has instructed us to teach and admonish, he's also shown us a means to do this ministry through music and grace. Do we sing biblical songs with the right spirit to God? Because God's interested in the way we worship him and he wants it to line up with his word because it all ties together. It's all important. It's all very important. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts. To the Lord, Father, I pray you bless her.